The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with Real Ones, Group Chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Ice Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new pure leaf blackberry iced tea that we have here at the Spotify studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new pure leaf blackberry iced tea. Visit amazon.com slash pure leaf and enter 20 pure leaf. That's 20 pure leaf for 20% off your purchase of new pure leaf Blackberry iced tea. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. Please check them out on tour, as well as every comedian and artist this summer and fall. Uh, go get vaccinated. Please don't be a dumbass. Um, <laughs> don't be like Cole Beasley, you dummy. And uh, get vaccinated. Go out, see the world, do it safely. Um, I'm joined with Chris Yang, who I'm seeing over Zoom, even though <laughs> I miss you already in person. <laughs> and we have an interview with uh, Larry Liu. He is the CEO founder of We. And... The stars aligned for us to have a quick conversation with him about his company because this is something I wanted to talk about on this podcast regardless, which is shopping patterns, getting ingredients that you, regardless of where you're from in the world, when you immigrate to a country and you can't quite get it. And have we really made progress or is it just there and still mm-hmm. unorganized? And yeah, I've ranted enough about the ethnic food aisle and blah, blah, blah. That's that's sort of part of this. But in general, I just wanted to have a conversation about getting ingredients, how you get it, where you get it, and sort of the state of play. Because, you know, a few podcasts ago, I talked about what would it be like if I was in um, middle America and I had a drive-through banh mi shop. If that can't happen and not in like Orange County or the SGV, but in a place that is not historically known to have openness to Asian foods. I was like, that would be a, 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 an amazing thing where food isn't just about being Asian. And I hate the name ethnic. What do you think about the word ethnic, Chris? Right? The ethnic aisle. It's a complete misnomer because if there's ethnic food, then that means logically speaking, there is non-ethnic food. And what the hell is non-ethnic food? What is food that has no, like, what does that mean? Just nutritional paste? There's no non-ethnic food. And to sort of like, ethnic, that word thus doesn't mean what they're using it for. That's what that means. Logically, if there's no such thing as non-ethnic food. You know what ethnic is? Yeah, what? Really, it's just uh, another way of saying it's not like white American. Not white American. Can I, say, food. I mean, can I say this? It's the colored section of the grocery store. It's like it's siloed off. It's a segregated section. All, all colors of brown section. All colors of brown section of the grocery store. That's what it means. Because it doesn't mean what they're pretending it means. Because there's no such thing as that's it. That's food. what we're, we're just letting. We're just going to call it for what it is. The ethnic aisle equals all colors of brown food. <laughs> yeah, brown people food. Is. Yeah, it's it's the brown people section of the grocery store. That's what it is, because it logically does not make sense why there would be ethnic food and and, and non ethnic food. So yeah, it drives me. It, I don't. Do you even go to that section anymore? Do I smell it? Do I smell ethnic? <laughs> I do I dress ethnic? <laughs> it's just it's the worst fucking word. If you search this, you know, like pull on this thread and the semantics of it all, right? If we're comfortable with the word ethnic, then we should be comfortable saying, "Do you smell ethnic?" You look ethnic today. You sound 
Where are you from? You sound ethnic. Hey, Dave, are you ethnic? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? I guess I identify as ethnic. I'm an ethnic So person. what you're trying to tell me is, have I assimilated to white American culture? <laughs> right, right. Or have I not? Am I fresh yeah. off the boat? Yeah. Or am I not? And I don't know what to do or what to say, but this is this ties into this larger conversation about one day not having to worry about getting food that you want to eat, whether it's in a restaurant or whether it's at the grocery store or the supermarket. And the reason Chris and I are having this conversation is I'm in Wyoming. I'm here for not really vacation because <laughs> we're working. It's just a place where I, I, I can take some time off, but my family is here. Uh, I'm seeing my mom. I'm cooking a lot. And it's the first time I've been coming here since 1999. My, I used to work here, Jackson Hall Resort Lodging. This is David. How may I help you? That was <laughs> my first job out of college. I worked the graveyard shift. And I've been coming here because I like the outdoors. When I used to snowboard or ski, that was, you know, this is where I learned how to fly fish. And for me, I, 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 love, I love this. What I don't love as much, I love the nature, what I want to say. What I don't love as much is the, how should I say? The feeling of going into a store knowing that I'm the only Asian person mm -hmm. and getting that. And I was talking to Grace about it. You just feel the looks. Mm -hmm. You feel it. You, feel, you know that your presence, it, it can be totally friendly. Yeah. But it feels like different. You know, there's a disturbance in the force somehow, mm -hmm. some way. You know what I'm talking about, it, right? Yeah, I think it, there's looks there, and then there's looks when you get to the checkout counter, and you're like, yes, I am the one who bought this thing that nobody else is buying in this town. In general, like, the food's better. There's a Whole Foods here now. Albertson's here. It's like, the, it's crazy busy, but it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> I'm coming from San Gabriel Valley area, and it's the first time in my life where I feel like, oh, if I grew up here... I never would have had anything to complain about. I probably wouldn't even be cooking. I would have nothing to say culinary-wise. There's just so much acceptance. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. If I want Japanese, I can get Japanese grocery store. If I want Vietnamese, I go to Vietnamese grocery store. If I want Filipino, if I want Korean, I want multiple kinds of Chinese. If I want just small Korean stores, like it's all there. And I'm like, here... There was one Chinese uh, restaurant off the main strip here in Jackson Hole, and it's now a Korean restaurant called Pop. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening here? <laughs> and in it, they have some Korean groceries. And it's at a higher markup, but like I expect it because we're in a resort area. And I'm like, I see people walk in, and I'm glad that some people are buying stuff. I, I the only people I see eating at this restaurant are Asian people and Indian mm -hmm. people. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it. For the most part. Again, like that's just my, when I want to walk past and I'm like, what do I expect? I'm in fucking Wyoming. Of course. Right. You know, but like, so it was nice to be able to get a box of stuff that are Asian ingredients that I, that I could get normally, you know? And I'm like, when does that become normal? And if does that ever become normal? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can I just go to the grocery store and get what I always want? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> eventually that happens anyway. Like you go to the you go to the the, the marinated meat section, which you should never buy at a grocery store. And <laughs> there's like two types of Asian marinades, right? It's like a slow trickle. You know, you yeah. got the teriyaki and now you have the Korean. You know, like kalbi marinade. I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, so what I'm trying to say is like, have we really made progress or have people just come to this country and like, just doing like, I'm just going to make it fucking happen. You know what I mean? Like, are we ever really going to have acceptance or is it going to be, you know, semi high walls looking like we're neighbors, but we're really not neighbors. You know what I mean? Like you said, your parents, my parents came to this country. They landed where they had to be, 
right? They, they didn't they didn't look at a map of the United States and and carefully assess the brochure of pros and cons. Like you sort of arrive in this country and you go where the work is. Yeah, well, like literally, like Eddie Murphy in Coming to America, <laughs> Queens, right? <laughs> Right. And so like, and Larry Lou, who we talked to in a little bit, he, he landed in uh, Folsom, California, famous for the prison. Like, no, <laughs> that's not what you choose. And so they may do with what's available to them, right? You don't have X ingredients, so you get the next best thing and you make something work. Has that changed? Because I remember last summer, Dave, you and I had a couple of conversations as wildfires were raging in California, as the pandemic was at its peak, and we were trying to figure out the long-term viability of where we live. And you and I talked about, we, we just, maybe it was idly, some, I think it was pretty serious too, about like other places we could move. And I remember every conversation we had, we'd be like, oh, such and such a place is nice. Oh, that's temperate. Oh, there's AC there. Like we can live there. It always boiled down to, yeah, but it's so far from Asian grocery stores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no Asian people there. We can't go anywhere. We, you and I, maybe we're a little crazier about this than other people. But we couldn't move to these places because they didn't have what we would need to live. And so that hasn't changed that much. There's still pockets of this country where there are no people that look like us or eat like us. So, But I think it's a cross-section. You know, it's, it, it just tells you, in, you know, listen, I want to be a, a more optimistic person here. But I, I think when I reflect upon it, it is just because it seems like more people are open, more people are eating things like kimchi or Sichuan peppercorns or whatever, doesn't it really mean that people understand anything outside of whatever they're tasting? And, and I got thinking about this as, I, as I'm here and I'm trying to feed my mom as many delicious Korean things as I can and really not having access to things. And what I love about this immigrant culinary experience that has happened really the world over, oftentimes forced upon people when they have to go to a place they don't want to go, is that they make food with what they have, mm -hmm. right? And it's not a perfect ingredient match, but it, it, that's how like I think you get new and delicious things. And I'm like, man, I just got food delivered here that I have preserved duck eggs. I got all kinds of I don't, things that I've never even seen before in this grab bag <laughs> box that Larry sent us and chips and stuff that like, I'm pretty sure I may be the only person for like <laughs> a thousand mile radius that has anything <laughs> like this. Yeah. And I'm like, what would have happened if my parents or your parents had this access in the sixties, in the seventies, in the eighties, like here I am. And now you can get it. Like it is fucking crazy to me that you can basically get anything you want, even off online, any esoteric ingredient you can get to you and you're going to have all of this um, culture at your disposal but do you think that we're going to get to a place where it's truly accepted or is it just going to be delicious yeah i hear i see what you're asking it's it's incremental i think i don't think i don't think that you and i would continue to do what we do if we didn't believe on some level we are making incremental change this way that like deliciousness and expanding your borders for what you're willing to eat and accept as delicious opens a pathway in your brain to, to acceptance. It's not one-to-one. -one. It's not, I like Korean food, now I like Korean people. But it's like, That's hey, the, I tried you, something. You just summarized what, what I, I was unable to get to. It's like, <laughs> when people like someone's food, are you going to like them as people too? And I just no. don't think that's going to happen. No, no fucking chance, right? No fucking chance. But we got to keep doing that because the alternative is 100 times worse. <laughs> You know, it's in some ways, it's the lesser of two evils. I don't know. And I wanted to bring this up because uh, this whole idea of buying food, because whether you're Indian or whether you're Asian or whether wherever you are in the world where you're eating a kind of food and you can only buy it from a certain place and oftentimes you have to drive an hour plus out of your way to get the foods that you want to eat, that's not just food anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I loved those trips as a kid. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And it was like a small thing under a bridge in Virginia. And now, with all these, like, Asian people in Virginia, it's like you have, like, H-marts and all these Asian markets all over the place. And that's what I try to say. It's like, oh, wait, I remember 35 years ago, there was literally nothing. Now there's all this shit in the Washington, D.C. area. But has really anything changed? And... I want to say yes. Certainly for as a as a as an eater, 
I have way more variety of candies, of chips, of, of all these delicious things. And I'm wondering, it's just like, here I am, I don't have access to any of that. And it feels a little bit like how, uh, when I went grocery shopping with my mom, how it used to be for her. Because now we're like, she's like, oh, we don't have this, but you can use this. I think I'm guilty myself of just thinking in the, I have to make it Asian. I can't, you know, mm. like the home cook Dave is, is like putting himself in a box. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to stop thinking that I'm in the ethnic food aisle as well. You know what mm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It's like, I feel like I'm putting myself in my own box when I go grocery shopping, when I can go to Albertsons and be like, dude, I can make anything with anything here and it's going to be awesome. There's two sides of the coin, right? I think what you were talking about where you and your family would make the trips to, you know, under the bridge in, in, in Virginia or, you know, my family driving every weekend to Irvine to go shopping, like there's that side of it. And, and it's funny because I think your parents are probably like mine where my parents didn't do much for themselves. <laughs> like my dad drove a Toyota Camry for 17 years, you know, like they, they don't buy anything new for themselves, but the one sort of irrational, illogical and inefficient thing that they would do for themselves is like waste time driving an hour each way to go get food, to go get ingredients, you know, that's it's commitment to something I don't think it's Asian specific. I think the same thing exists for Hispanic families. Like you said, South Asian families, lots of families will go out of the way irrationally to do that thing. The other side of the coin is, and something you're talking about, which is like what your mom did with what's available to her. And if, if people listen to Recipe Club, what you did with Priya's Bell Puri Chot recipe is make do with what's around you. Try to get creative. Uh, dude, what a great tie, tie-in. You, you, you're a pro, <laughs> fucking pro. <laughs> Listen to Recipe Club, everybody. <laughs> no, but you know, we we knew going into this last episode of Recipe Club that Priya was doing a, an Indian chat dish and that Dave was going to be in Wyoming and there was no way he was going to have access to, you know, the puffed rice and the crushed pop teas and all of the ingredients. And we were like, okay, let's pack Dave a box of all this stuff and do exactly what you were saying, Dave. Yeah. Create a little bubble for him in yeah, Wyoming yeah. where he can make it. But instead... You elected to say no. That's exactly right. I rel- I cherish the opportunity to make it the way Priya's aunt would be like, this is really good, genuinely. And I think part of this is my lifelong crusade uh, uh, sort of against authenticity. Again, I think authenticity is good when you're preserving and making sure culture survives of a group of people, right? But not blind adherence. Yes, that, that, that's a problem. And I wonder if I'm becoming a victim to my own like pursuit of Asian excellence and everything. I was like, wait, I got to fucking recalibrate myself and realize like, no, man, don't put yourself in any fucking box. I think in a weird way, when you don't have the right ingredients, when you have to use your imagination and you can still make a dish that is extremely delicious and to make the person that created the recipe like, wow, that's really great. I think that's crucially important to to make that distinction. If you can still make a dish great with substitutions, with none of the ingredients that were sort of original and authentic, it showed that you had to empathize with that recipe. It showed that you had to literally have it like like be in your pores. Two things I, I take from that. One, we talk about this all the time, constraints our creativity's best friend. It's way harder to just like say you can have anything in the entire world, any any tool, any ingredient, any any means you want, as much resource you want, do something creative. <laughs> like it's just an e- it's it's actually easier to work within the constraints. I think, you know, the other part that you're saying which I've never really thought about is if you don't have all of these things to to create the the end goal. Like let's say you're trying to make bell puri chat in Wyoming. If I have all the ingredients, I can do it blindly. I can do it robotically. I can just say, okay, I have the two tablespoons of chopped cilantro I need. I have the tamarind and the dates that I need. I have the pressure cooker I need. I just follow the instructions like a robot as opposed to I don't have anything, but at the end, except for a target. 
and the target is something that's crunchy and fresh and has, you know, her- herbaceousness. And I need to like internalize what the pr- end product is and then try to engineer a way to get there. Like that's, that means I have, you're more and more intimately familiar with what the actual recipe is than I ever was. Cause I had everything. When I, I made it in Oakland. I went to Vic's Chot. I bought all the ingredients. I bought exactly what I needed. I could have done it with my eyes closed, but you couldn't, you know, like that's, it's, it's really interesting to think about it that way. You have to like know your food and your, your recipe better if you don't have what it takes. And I, I think again, like this is a way of thinking that will probably only make sense if you believe in a world where there are no borders, there's still respect for the history and where things are going. But the future is something where we're all some kind of shade of brown and the food is Blade Runner food where everything is, again, like I always say, like the food of the the islands, like what, what Paul makes and stuff is like, that's future food. It's like Chinese, African, Indian. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable because you can't really see where it's from. It's seamless. That's the food personally that I love. And all food really is that. It came from some amalgamation of people and it turned into something that you now accept to be just this homogenized thing. But the reality is I love when food mutates and evolves and it's done in a way that is true, right? And I wonder, I guess what I've been really wondering is if now if all of these Asian people and all these Hispanic people, and listen, I'm certainly going to be the beneficiary of it, get all these ingredients that you want without ever having to think about it, right? Yeah. We never have to learn how to substitute with ingredients that are local to us. And now all we do is make facsimiles. I guess the best way is like, does that make us like... I think that stunts the growth of an American food yes, culture. Yes, that's what, it, that's what I'm trying to say. In the same way, like, I don't know how to type anymore. I spell. I don't know. Yeah. Give me a sense of directions. I have no fucking idea because <laughs> I just trust my fucking smartphone or whatever. Yeah. I, not that it was strong to begin with. And now I'm wondering, like, it's a conundrum because clearly I want access to it. But the more access we have to it, if you understand the the logic that, wait, if I don't learn how to spell on my own and I constantly check, you know, my phone or the fucking word perfect or whatever the fucking, you know, computer program is, I'm never going to learn how to spell. This is what I've been thinking about with the last conversation with Michelle and, and this conversation with Larry is, when we have all of this diversity at our fingertips, what happens next? Yeah. This is wild because I think that on its face, if, if you were to be like, what do you think Dave Chang's opinion is on grocery stores? I think that the, the immediate answer would be like, well, I'm sure you know Dave wants tons of Asian ingredients and Asian groceries are in every corner and just access to every single thing you want wherever you are. But it is like sort of the paths of the Wally future, right? Like we can have anything we want. We can sit in a chair and just zip around and and like there's no, it's not even hardship, right? It's just like, it's not a way to move forward. There's no yeah. forward momentum anymore. Part of what it is to be Asian American is not having access to the right. things. It's that's Okay, so that's the distinction. There's a distinction between being an Asian person living in Asia and being an Asian American. The Asian American sort of story and, and identity has always been built around the fact that we are, our families are from Asia in a different country. That's as essential to it as the country we're from. And, and a tie, let's go back to a little bit full circle, which is, and I want to get to something a little bit more lighthearted about going what we buy in Zoom markets. I started off this conversation sort of at the beginning by saying, if I grew up in the St. Gabriel Valley or Koreatown, probably wouldn't have any perspective about food, in, the, in my opinion. I don't think I would because why would I? I'm swimming in abundance and mirror images of everything. Like I'm seeing my culture everywhere. The signs are in Korean, Chinese, whatever. Maybe I would have, but probably clearly would be a little bit different. But growing up in Virginia, growing up basically very different, caused me to use my imagination, caused me to lament not having things. And I just wonder whether it's my sons or future generations, when we have all this perfect access, what are we going to have to say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and, and it could be amazing. I, I don't fucking know. I don't have an answer. I'm just simply saying like all these generations in America leading up to now have had to fight for what's on their plate more or less. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the future, you know, like, we're, it's, it's all unsure. Like, I don't think that we're confident that, like, it'll go one way or another. Maybe Hugo's creativity and, and future comes from the fact that, like, he was exposed to a ton more stuff outside of Korean culture. Maybe because he grows up eating Indian food and Hispanic ingredients. And, like, that's, you know, his, his perspective or seeing art from different people. Like, that's maybe the the flip side of the coin. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I think we should bring this home for people in, in this way. Because I think uh, th- this will this will hammer it home when we're talking about like being too it being too easy to get exactly what you need. I think that like you and I are probably like uh, prime examples of that because of the places we live and our ex- like the access we have to like any ingredient we want anytime. And I bet it's reflected in in your shopping habits. Can you talk about like when you're in LA? I know you're in Wyoming right now, but like what is your shopping pattern? How are you usually going about buying what you need for what you want to cook? Okay, for right now, I can just tell you, there's all. If I'm going to <laughs> H Mart or Lotte, it's I immediately go through the drink section because I'm oh. like, even though I don't buy anything like the the sack sacks or like the grape drinks, that's just nostalgia for me, and I always look at them, and be like, oh, man, should I buy? <laughs> if that? I wasn't so afraid of diabetes, I would yeah. buy these things. Right, like I want to buy these. <laughs> Delicious, and then I then I look through the dried fish section and be like, mm, sometimes no. Then then I'll stroll through the like the the the, the Asian canned drink section and coffee, and I'm like, nah, maybe. And I, I might get a couple things there, but then then I go directly to the kimchi section, yeah. and then I go to get some tofu. Then I I peruse the rice section, the noodle section. Then I go to the the meat and seafood section. And then I always finish at the vegetable section because now I'm like, okay, how am I going to like pair all this? Mm-hmm. So it, it almost always happens in that regard. It Weirdly for uh, Asian cuisine that is not meat-based, I think more meat and protein-based first yeah. than vegetables. However, when I am in a more American, traditional American supermarket like I was today, God, because feeding like seven people, I'm just telling you that. Like, I, I don't know where the food's going. I, I have no idea. I don't know who's eating these bananas. This is exactly I don't know who's like eating the these blueberries. The pandemic when you're yeah. like, I bought all this meat and it's all gone. I don't know what. what is, I've already gone through one jar of jelly. Who the fuck is eating jelly? Who the fuck is eating jelly? And there's already halfway through the second jar that I just bought. I'm like, what is happening? I, I am here with everybody for the most part, knowing what people are eating. Right. What's going on here? I'm not seeing any of these people just like spooning jelly into their mouths. Like, when the fuck are they eating the jelly? <laughs> I mean, like, it's a new thing. My mom eats like toast in the morning with butter. So there's no jelly on it. I, like, I just, I just don't know. Like, I'm, I'm having these conversations. Like, I was like, I bought a giant box, like a, the big jumbo thing of blueberries. Like by the end of the day, it's gone. Who, who the fuck just is like popping blueberries in their mouth like they're Skittles? <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. Uh, but uh, I was at a, um, 
a supermarket today. And the difference when I go to an American supermarket is I look at the vegetables first and I try mm. to construct my meal. Interesting. And today, depending on who I'm with, I'm like, I got to make gochujang jjigae, not gochujang jjigae. I want to make a dengjang jjigae, uh, which is a Korean from, it's like, a, uh, I hate making this comparison. It's like a more rustic, intense, more delicious version of a miso soup. Oftentimes in a shellfish broth or beef broth with uh, mung beans, zucchini, onions, tofu, not always, but oftentimes squash, a classic dish. I grew up eating it. I love it very much. It's very pungent. I don't have denjangjo, so I had to buy some red miso. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any shellfish broth. I don't have any dashi with me. So I'm like, how do I do this? How do I make this? But I'm looking at the squash and I'm like, okay, I, I have to make my mom denjangjige. It's not going to be denjangjige when she tastes it, but I, I have to figure out how I'm going to do this. So I was like, I got to buy the squash. I'm going to buy it. I, 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 and then I'm like, do I have onions? So for me, when I'm in these markets right now, I'm trying to com- compose dishes in my head. And then it's also like, what can I do with the leftovers and turn it into another dish, right? So my mom loves pork and I'm trying to have her eat a lot of protein. And I was going to um, slow cook a pork shoulder, not do a bosom really, but I wanted to do like slice it thin like how I've been doing it in LA, mm-hmm. roast it for a long time, but not, well, it's falling off the bone, but you can still slice it and then eat it in some. But I ran out of time because I've been, I've been quite busy with work. Um, so I just decided to throw it in a fucking pot and cook it like I do with my grandfather's pork belly recipe with just a lot of ginger and garlic and fish sauce, killed all my fish sauce and soy sauce. And I just braised it for like eight hours. Mm. And I said, mm-hmm. I was like, we're just eating this with rice and some stir fried cabbage. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead of like me worrying about bok choy or getting some kind of pot choy, I'm just like, that's some green cabbage. I'm going to chop it up. I'm going to take some of the fat from this cauldron of pork that's been infused with all these aromatics and I'm going to saute it in that. We're going to serve it with rice and we're going to eat braised pork on rice. That was it. Mm -hmm. So now I'm at the supermarket and I'm like, okay, we only ate like half at best because I picked it all and I put it in a fucking container and I'm like, okay, now how am I going to make that, which is heavily infused with ginger into something that's going to taste maybe something that's more Tex-Mex or Mexican. So like I pretty much for the most part, stop. If you ever seen me in a supermarket, like a Whole Foods or an Albertsons or Kroger's or whatever, I'm usually looking up like fucking Queen's Gambit at the fucking ceiling of the supermarket. (laughs) I was going to say, you must just like stand there thinking for a while in the market, right? Like you're just pondering. I'm I'm literally just like looking at the vegetables, (laughs) trying to be like, okay, what's in the fridge? And it's almost like making family. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to buy that. I want to buy this. Because of that, I'm going to need this, this, and this. And and I start off by buying almost all the vegetables that I need. And then I move on. Mm-hmm. Then I move on to buying everything else. So I bought some tomatoes. I made uh, enchilada sauce. I, you know, I got some cheese. And we just, tr- I, I shredded it into something that nobody realized tur- was, was the actual the dish that we had two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um and I always, I always, always look with great disdain at all of the seafood section of these supermarkets. <laughs> same, same. I don't, I, I can't, I don't hang out in the seafood section at all. Although it sounds like you and me are probably similar in that like it, grocery shopping kind of takes a while. <laughs> it's not like a super fast thing. And no. I, we, my family always gives my father-in-law like so much shit because he's a, he's a builder, he's a contractor. And when he goes to like a home Depot or a Lowe's or whatever, like he's just in there forever going between the aisles back to the previous aisle. And everyone's just like, can you just efficiently buy the thing? But now I'm realizing like, that's his grocery store. He's just yeah. like seeing what's there, what's new and galvanized nails. And like, I, this is like what, what yeah. gives him happiness. Exactly. I, my Grace came with me and my brother, and they both were like, oh, my God. <laughs> Can we get the fuck out of Just here Just fuck Dave. <laughs> like, stop. Stop looking at your cart. Stop oh, totally, thinking. Man. Just fucking go. We just need some milk for Hugo. Let's go. I'm like, oh, no, no. We got to go here. Do we have enough okay. rice? What, what so back up part. this? 
you know? So that part, when you're in LA, I'm trying to think here. For me, I think in a given month, I go to, including farmer's markets, to buy sort of produce and and sometimes fish, if there's a fish vendor, including those. I probably go to one, two, three, four, five, six, between six and eight different stores in a week, in, in a month, different types for different reasons. How many different places do you go to food shop? And how many do you think like the average American goes to? Are we crazy? I don't know. Like more than five? I'm sure you go to more than five different places to shop in a month. Farmer's Market, H-Mart, Lotte Market. That's about five, actually. Yeah. And and I go to 99 Ranch sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's different there, man. It's different (laughs) when you're in in, in, uh, Asian food wonderland. But that's what I'm talking about. That's the that's the sort of like being too comfortable that we were talking about earlier, where it's like we can go to five different stores. It is more of a challenge. It's maybe more interesting to be in a place where you are right now, where there's not there aren't even five different places you can go to shop. You've got to make do with what's there. The only thing I will not buy for sure, I can't, and I haven't ever tried, but I just I I don't know. But these commercially available kimchi's that I see. Yeah, I don't know if they're owned by Asian people or not. I, I I'm assuming that they're not. I just can't. Like I, I just can't. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I know. I actually think of you whenever I I'm looking at that section and I'm like, uh, if Dave saw me buying one of these, he'd be really upset. I'm not there. Yet. <laughs> Wait, here, last last question because we should get we should let people hear a little bit of this interview. How did that Denjang Jige turn out? Did you make it? I haven't made it yet. I'm about to do it. So what I here's what I also did. I was just like, what would my mom want? She loves shrimp cocktail. So I mm. bought a bunch of fucking shrimp. I'm going to make her that. I'm going to make Dangerang Jige. I found some pork belly. So I'm going to make some with that today. I'm going to grill that off. They didn't have any nice bib lettuce or they, I lie. I just lied. They had bib lettuce. I was just too fucking lazy to go back <laughs> to pick it up. So I was going to make a Caesar salad. I'm just going to take the hearts of Romaine and be like, eh, you just wrap it in this, mom. And, 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 um, and she, my mom brought some Samjang, so we're going to do that. And it's going to be a weird, it's going to be weird. It's going to be Korean pork belly sam with shrimp cocktail and dengjang jjigae. So ain't nothing, ain't nothing weird about that, Dave, I think is the, is the point. Like, that sounds amazing. That sounds delicious. A meal only, only possible in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Well, we just spoke for a, a long time. Should we let people listen to how, uh, honestly, if you haven't bought used we, I've been using it. It's, you're going to be able to get anything you want via we pretty soon. Yeah. And I know there's a bunch of other companies, but it's a different era, man. You can live <laughs> anywhere and get anything you want now. And, and I think we should all sort of try to think about what those what that means what that means exactly Larry thanks for joining us no thank you for having me it's it's cool I've never done this before first time you've never done a a podcast before not not no no. us either this is the first time for us too (laughs) Larry, can you describe what you do and what you started and what your company is for anybody that may not know? Yeah. So what we do is we specialize in grocery delivery that's serving Asian and Hispanic communities. So we source all the products ourselves. We run all the order picking uh, and the logistics ourselves. So we are vertically integrated. And... um, we have a lot of products, super exciting for the for the asking communities, and uh, that's the biggest differentiation that we have. So, are you guys all available nationally, or are you guys anywhere I live in America in the lower forty eight? You can deliver Asian stuff to me and Hispanic stuff to me. So, for the ambient temperature products, yes, anywhere you live in the United States, uh, you can you can buy. And for the fresh and frozen products, we are available in uh, about 20 cities. We have facilities in seven cities, and we can cover about 20 metropolitan areas in the U.S., and we're expanding. 
So what was the impetus? You started this in 2015. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this is if I wasn't doing restaurants, this is what I wanted to do. Um, (laughs) So in some ways, I'm talking to you because I'm like, I'm living vicariously through you because this is something that I can't believe didn't exist years ago. And how did it begin? Yeah, so so I came to the U.S. in 2003. I was a product engineer actually working for Intel. So uh, Intel relocated me from Shanghai to Folsom, California. And when I came here, it was impossible to buy Chinese food. Wait, 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 I, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you come from Shanghai to where in California? Folsom. Do you know where, like where the is? prison is? Where the prison it, is? Exactly. They're like Folsom and Intel, <laughs> two businesses. And what was the closest place to buy Chinese ingredients to you in Folsom? Well, there is a Vietnamese supermarket near um, Sacramento. It's like to the south part of Sacramento, which takes 30, 40 minutes to get there. And then the closest Chinese supermarket is in Berkeley, which is like <laughs> two hours, an hour and a half. From Folsom. What was the food you wanted? What could you not get? What were the flavors or products that you were looking for? Well, just very regular things like the the vegetables and fruits I was used to, right? Well, I was growing up in now the infamous city Wuhan. Oh, Wuhan never China. heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> People didn't know about that city a year ago. Now everybody knows. I grew up eating food uh, in that province. So one thing that's really memorable is is pork shore ribs and uh, to stew that together with the lotus root. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just call it in Chinese pai gu tang. It's like mm-hmm. a shore rib soup, right? So you can put, sometimes you put lotus uh, root in it. Sometimes you put uh, daikang in it. Different different things you stew with with the the shore ribs. I love those. And then there are many uh, special food in that province. For example, the sesame paste noodle is 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 the most famous food in, in my province. It's like it's Hubei province. Yeah, Hubei Hubei province, is? exactly. Uh-huh. It's called it's called real gan So literal translation is is hot and dry noodle. Mm-hmm. It's very famous uh, in China. So whenever you go to Wuhan, you want to, you want to try the, that noodle. And also just a lot of street food uh, in Wuhan. I don't even know how to translate those in English because I've never seen them here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just to recap, Larry, you, you moved to America in 2003. You, you're working as a product engineer for Intel. You're based in Folsom, California. And you're just like... I'm eating Panda Express. I'm going to the Vietnamese market. I'm making some things that I've never made before because I'm calling my mom. <laughs> what made you be like, screw this. I got to start this giant logistics company that's vertically stacked that sells Asian and Hispanic <laughs> ingredients to the, everybody in the lower 48 states. So like, what made you just snap? Because basically that's what happened. You have to be like, enough is enough. I, I got to take control of this situation. What, what happened? So that's why in 2015, when I discovered some people, you know, were buying things together in WeChat groups. And that's the beginning of We, is when I observe uh, folks buying things together in WeChat groups. That, that really opened my mind because that was nothing like I had experienced in the, in the previous 10 years. Can, can you explain for, for the audience, actually, believe it or not, I would yeah. say a good chunk of our audience doesn't know what WeChat is, which is crazy. If you're Chinese, what, what is WeChat? And then also, what, can you explain what are you talking about, buying things together? So, so WeChat is a very, very popular uh, messaging app. I think it has a billion monthly or daily active users. So in 2014, 2015, that's when WeChat exploded in China. And because it exploded in China, it also, as a result, uh, exploded among the Chinese communities all over the world. At that time, it seems to me like overnight, uh, everyone was on WeChat. I I mean, the the Chinese Americans. And I was added to a lot of WeChat groups. And one one type of WeChat groups really caught my attention. 
in those groups, usually people were local, the people in the groups. For example, I was added to a, a Fremont foodie group. And in that group, people talk about the food they couldn't get. They really crave, but they couldn't get. But some resourceful members in the group were able to source some really amazing products and they were selling in those groups. Uh, give you one example. Uh, this mom in this group, you know, there's a local harbor in the Bay Area. It's called Half Moon Bay. So she went to the Fisher's Market one day and bought some freshly caught uh, Pacific Black Hawk. And she was super impressed. And she came back. She got the contact of the fisherman when she bought the, the fish. And she came back to the group. She said, you know, I bought this fish, super delicious. You know, the best fish I've ever had in the U.S., do you guys want to buy together? If you want to buy together, I can call the fisherman and ask him to go out and, and, and catch the fish and deliver to our neighborhood. And overnight, like 300 people signed up, right? And people did it in the group, in the WeChat group. They just sent texts. I want one. I want two. And yeah, it's like $10,000 worth of fish was sold overnight in this small WeChat group. And after she got the order, you know, she called the fisherman. The fisherman, a few days later, went out, called the fish, cleaned them up, load the fish into those 140-quart white coolers, a few of them delivered to the neighborhood, and, and people just line up in front of her house. Line up, there's this long line. And, and each, you know, when you get to the, the, the group leader, you know, the fisherman took out the fish. It was, you know, all bloody they weigh the fish and you give cash to the fisherman. And after that, people went back, cooked the fish, right? Super delicious. So they came to the group and posted all the pictures of dishes, you know, they made and they loved it. They, they're like, I need more. And, you know, I want more of this fish. And all the people were in the group that didn't buy now had to buy. Hmm. So that whole experience was amazing to me because I knew how hard it is to sell anything uh, on eBay, right? You have to be super competitive in price and people actually have to search to find you. But in this group setting, there was only one seller and the seller didn't have a website, didn't have any technology. And she was able to, to sold $10,000 worth of products overnight and, and everybody loved it and wanted to buy again. That was super intriguing to me. And I I thought that could be the future of, of food retail. And you started we with that understanding, right? If you build a community. So, so that was, yeah, that was not an isolated case. That was not an isolated case. Um, I saw this happening in many WeChat groups across the U.S., many different cities. So I thought, wow, food actually can be exciting, right? Food doesn't need to be boring, uh, in the U.S., food food can be super exciting in the U.S. as well. And uh, food shopping should be social. I think most people at that time thought, even today, thought food shopping is a solo activity. You just go to a supermarket, you, you buy all by yourself. But that insight I got is, well, food shopping could be social and should be social and food shopping should be exciting. So, so I started We just to, in the beginning, the goal was to, uh, make the group buying easier because there were a lot of pain points in this process. Even collecting the, the, the orders was, was very painful, right? She had to, you know, write down everybody's name on a piece of paper to remember who, who ordered. She didn't want to end up with a lot of fish, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, also the payment connecting to suppliers. So there were a lot of pain points in the process. So I, I created we, uh, together with my co-founders just to, to make group buy easier. That was the, the origin story. Can I ask you, Larry, uh, you know, Dave and I talk a lot about the putting, putting aside the fresh produce, fresh fish and things like that, like the, the ambient temperature goods, the, the consumer goods, you know, you go to a Western supermarket and there's one brand of soy sauce. That's the house brand of soy sauce. There's one brand of if each Asian ingredient, you know, it's Annie Chun's rice noodles and that's it. As you've sort of grown and expanded, we, how much of customer demand is built around having a variety of brands of the same ingredients? Like how many different, you know, 
dope on junks can you add and still have people like how much is it responding to people wanting their specific brand of something and not just having one optionality for for these pantry goods so i think in in the u.s uh like let's say mainstream supermarkets they don't even have that one brand right for example the asking aisle is very very small and you only have maybe 30 products so so in the beginning we were trying to um, not to go very deep within one category, but to have broader category coverage. So people can get all kinds of different things, right? They can get their green bean, their, their, they can get their um, the sesame paste noodle. We, don't, we, don't, we, we didn't go very deep within one category. And just by covering a broader category, customers were super happy because they were really underserved. They were really underserved, uh, even even in the Bay Area. You know, in 2008, 2008, I moved to the Bay Area. Bay Area is considered, you know, one of the, the most convenient places for, for Asian Americans in terms of getting ethnic food. But it still took me 30 minutes to, to drive to the closest Chinese supermarket. So if I didn't want to drive, then I had to go to the mainstream store uh, to, to buy very limited selections. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that is that changed over time? Are people, you know, I don't just want the one option. Even you know, are people now like I want other options? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over time, we we added more options for for our customers, and I think I think in 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 the U.S., people would think, oh, China is one big, you know, Chinese food is just one type of food. But but in China, China is absolutely you know extremely diversified, right? So you have people from northern parts, the 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 west parts. East part, they all wanted different brands. They all grew up with different brands. So we, we were able to see like by adding brands that cater to them, like people from that region just started to buy from us. Mm-hmm. So what's the end goal, right? Because I'm in Wyoming and you guys were able to send me some stuff and it was a lifesaver to get flavors and snacks and things that I would normally only see if I was in an Asian supermarket. And I'm sure you guys were crazy busy over the past year because of the pandemic as any buddy in food that shipped food uh, from a wholesale point of view was just crazy, crazy busy. I don't even need to know. I know that you guys were. But what are you guys planning next, right? Every Asian community that I know of probably has one or two Asian supermarkets, whether they're small, whether they're large, or... Like I'm sure in Orange County where Chris grew up, you have a Vietnamese, you have a Chinese one, and you have a Korean one. And I know that like if you get closer to the Gardena Torrance one, you have a Japanese one. And it's probably like three or four of the smaller ones and a couple of big ones. Is that your market to sort of own the larger metropolitan areas? Or is it more like the suburbs in in Virginia, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, where you know, just places in America where a lot of people don't think there's a large Asian American or Hispanic population that want to eat delicious things, flavorful ingredients that they can't find normally. What's the next step? Is it to get into brick and mortar? Is it to, you know, if you can get it sort of anywhere right now, and yes, you can't get sort of fresh produce, but I'm sure that's just probably a, a year or two away. What's the, what's the ultimate goal for we? Because I, I would say the one thing for, for certain from a, like if I'm thinking about my mom or my mom's generation, they would buy a couple things online. But part of, I think, the Asian culinary experience too, which I think is very different spending time in China, which is the logistics in China is just on a whole different level. I don't think people understand, particularly the customer service. It's, there's no way I can explain it. If you live there, you, you get it. We're sort of getting it a little bit with Prime and same-day shipping a little bit. But in China, you can get like everything immediate, particularly even groceries. But I don't know if the the buying of food is ever going to be satisfied from an Asian perspective, from, again, my mom's generation, online only. You know, like going to the market and buying the fish, getting it live, going to see all the different grains and and... The physical selection to me is such a part of shopping for Asian food. The difference is, is when it's too far away or it doesn't exist for you, right? Like you're just not being serviced at all. So 
how do you reconcile with that? Because it's clear, you know, I live in LA. I like going to the Asian markets. I like going to the Lotte market. I like going to H market. I like going to Mitsu. I, I like going to the Thai markets in Hollywood. There's a lot of different things that I can get that I can't get online. What do you think about it? If, if we is, again, as successful as you say, I think, I think we're going to lose maybe that tactile touch that I think is so important. Yeah, I, I don't think we're, we're, we're set out to replace all those um, brick and mortar ethnic supermarkets. I, I really see us operating at a different space. So, so we have some data points. For example, we grew our, our sales significantly uh, in those regions that were pretty big, but the ethnic supermarket store sales based on our intelligence don't, don't drop, right? So I think the big, the big part of what we're doing is really we're taking a lot of shares away from mainstream grocery stores. Uh, for example, I, my shopping pattern was I would go to mainstream supermarket and I would go to the ethnic supermarket because it's so far away. So I, I kind of resorted to the mainstream supermarket to, to do a lot of the shopping. So now I didn't have to. So, um, I don't see us replacing them and we have no intention to get into a brick and mortar store because we believe today how people shop food is based on uh, brick and mortar store for years and years. And uh, the brick and mortar store restriction also restricted what kind of assortment you can get. We really believe that the online only nature would enable us to enable much more exciting assortment. We are able to give you one example. We're able to add over a hundred products every single week, which is cannot be done by brick and mortar store just because the the setting uh, they're not designed to constantly introduce new products that would excite the customers. So that's that's our our strategy. In the U.S., it's a little bit different. That it's it's really a, a, a melting pot. Right? I think a lot of the uh, especially second generation. I'm first generation. I'm probably more into Chinese food, but like my kids' generation, I feel like they're more fusion. Like my kids, they love Japanese food. They love, you know, Korean food. And um, that's what we're seeing. Just a very broad group of people start to buy from me and, and, and they, they really love what they see here. Well, it would be cool if we... Uh, helps destroy the ethnic food aisle and you guys <laughs> just become this thing that is a place where delicious things live, regardless of province, regardless of a country. It's just, you, this is where I go when I need something good. I need great ingredients. This is where I can go and get a little bit of everything because that's where I see you guys headed, right? And that's something I noticed early on with many of the Korean supermarkets that became larger and much more of a, you know, everything Asian market type of thing is all the cuts of meat, all the, the chilies. I would say half the clientele were Hispanic. And I was like, oh, this isn't just the Korean market. This is a market where people want to buy the cuts of meat that they can't buy anywhere else because they're not selling filet mignon here or tenderloin or, you know, this is where you can get pork belly and, and oxtails and all these things that all these other cultures really cherish and the flavors, I just thought it was awesome. And I, I stopped thinking of it as sort of this Asian supermarket. It's just a place where it serves good food. And I can't wait to see what else you guys have up your sleeve. So that's why we, we believe, you know, food should really be exciting that, you know, the reason we call ourselves we W E E there are two, two meanings in there. W E we means we believe food shopping should be social. People recommend great products to each other all the time. And we is a very exciting sound. And that's also what we believe. Food should be exciting. Food should be something people celebrate. Shouldn't be just source of energy. <laughs> this is the most Chinese thing ever. The same, same word as multiple meanings. <laughs> Depending how you say it. Yeah. Well, Larry, uh, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for sending us food. I, I don't know if I'll use the preserved duck eggs, <laughs> but it, it was, it, it, it warmed my heart to know that this is where you can buy them. And I've already consumed all the chips. So <laughs> yeah, those are really, really good. Those are good chips. You know, oh my God. Super delicious. 
and this and this pineapple that I have not shared with my family. Is the pink one that, that I have is that I hiding. that I put somewhere else. And by the time they listen to this, I'm going to be like, sorry, <laughs> it went bad. Um, thanks, Larry. No, thank you for having me. All right, go check out we. If you thought that our conversation with Chris and myself was totally incoherent and uh, long-winded, we agree with you. (laughs) We agree with you. I want to preface this as we literally were just talking out something that we have never talked out before in the moment. Yeah, I think we came to, I was actually surprised where we landed. That was weird. (laughs) But that's how it works. Um, Give us five stars on our iPod page. Thanks, everybody. Bye.